Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Malcolm! Captain John Boyd is about to discover. No one just ends up at Fort Spencer. We come for a reason. Yours being? Well, something he never imagined. We have a great sense of camaraderie here at Fort Spencer. <laughs> this Indian scout told me a curious story. Winged eagle. It's an old Indian myth from the north. A man eats the flesh of another. <gasps> he absorbs the other man's strength. Now, one man must choose. We need others. Between having dinner and being dinner. Stu Major Knox. Guy Pierce. Ives! I'm gonna kill him. Robert Carlyle. He was tough, but then a uh, good soldier ought to be. Jeffrey Jones. Me, uh, I bring you into the fold. What's wrong? David Arquette. <laughs> There's no guilt. I gotta eat. Ah! It's tough making friends. Eat to live. Don't live to eat. The world uh, has been waiting with bated breath for <laughs> our take on Ravenous, which uh, I'll, I'll just, I don't really know how I would uh, sell this to someone. Um, I suppose a cannibal comedy. What would you say, Ben, if you were if you were at the old video store back in 1999 or uh, 2000, whenever this video release was, how would you tell a customer uh, what to expect? by popping in their VHS tape of Ravenous. I, I would say that if you're going to do like dinner and a movie, um, you know, there's probably nothing better than, you know, this movie uh, <laughs> and maybe like a big steak dinner or something. Um, <laughs> that, that brings me to a, a point though. Uh, Cause sure, uh, sure. upon watching it, I did feel like if this came out today, that they would push the gore elements far more than what is present here. Uh, now, it does certainly open up 
uh, was the, I guess, pretty fairly disgusting context. A soldier played by Guy Pierce, uh, who uh, has experienced blood and carnage, and they they put that in extreme close up. He uh, he's playing dead and uh, surrounded by uh, dead carcasses of his fellow man. And so when he's having a uh, a steak dinner, as you uh, were pushing to this uh, hypothetical VHS customer. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a little more disgusting for him than normal, but I feel like that's that's probably the worst of it. I don't know if it uh, later on. I don't think we get too much uh, as far as uh, gore that maybe the genre fans would expect now or uh, would really be be into uh, with these type of indie darlings. So, did you feel that way? Did you is it this just a product of it being 1999, or is it just that the sensibilities of this particular filmmaker? Uh, just don't aspire to really cater to genre fans. I mean, we should. It should be said though that the movie didn't really work out. Um, you know, for people in 1999, <laughs> it didn't. Not for <laughs> not for critics, not for no. audiences. The the stories of them making it are all laced with you know, oh, this guy got replaced and blah blah blah. Um, it doesn't seem like anyone looks back on Ravenous as you know, yeah, that was a good time in the movie theater. Um. I'm I, I'm kind of surprised that this has developed kind of a cult classic reception towards it. It seems much more popular now than it did, um, obviously, in 1999. Like, when I go on Letterboxd and I look at, you know, the movies from 1999, this is within, like, the top 100, um, you know, most popular titles. And, you know, I don't, I doubt it re- it was, uh, you know, at the time. Um... And so it's not really a product of its time either. It's just sort of this weird little movie that seems to exist uh, on its own. And, and I kind of like it in that regard. Uh, I had seen it before we decided to do this. And I was actually, it was one of the few titles I was really looking forward forward to, to checking out again, despite the fact that it has some obvious flaws in it. And it's pretty, it's a pretty messy movie. Um, when we get to some of the bigger plot twists and everything in the first half hour, there, there are some really weird choices in terms of music and and editing that, that don't really feel particularly well thought out, but I still enjoy them. (laughs) Well, I, I I just thought, uh, see, I actually thought the opposite because they're, they're so off putting, uh, and just a little bit, it, it seems like it puts the audience or me in particular on tilt. Uh, where everything is just slightly askew. And that I think that probably produces a lot of the warm feelings towards this film because I, I did see this in its theatrical run back Jesus. as a teenager. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was, there was uh, you know, if memory serves, there was no one else there except for me and my brother. And it died a fairly quick death. And you're right, it didn't have critical support. And uh, I think maybe with the online film community now, the uh, sort of instant cult classic status would have come a little bit quicker. Uh, it wouldn't have taken, you know, a decade or two to degenerate this, these warm sentiments to, to towards ravenous. But uh, I, yeah, I think there's probably, there's probably more to respect about the film than enjoy because I, I, I mean, I kind of dug it when I was a teenager, but I have to admit, I never uh, sought it out to like put on like a, a annual watch or even watching it every few years. I, did, I waited until uh, covering it for my uh, other podcast, War Machine versus Warhorse, and that was it. So we, we did this like a year and a half ago, 
And uh, I mean, I enjoyed my time with it again, but I feel like, and it's maybe the production problems that you you mentioned, um, but it just feels like a film that is not trying to be any one thing. And that, that's good or bad, uh, because you're right, it does sort of tonally shift at times and it sort of announces those tonal shifts with the, the weird uh, score. And um, you know, the biggest takeaway I had from it was Guy Pierce. Uh, oftentimes feels like he's in a different movie than Robert Carlyle, who is, I mean, he is the antagonist here, but it, it's a strange uh, character. I mean, it's, it is like stoic to the point of the absurd, his uh, captain, John Boyd. And I don't know if that, that was a very pointed decision. Like, cause it, it makes him almost humorous uh, just how, nothing he is personality wise how much of a zero he is and he's just totally reacting uh to these increasingly crazy events that surround him did you did you like his performance or what they do with his character i mean i thought he was fine you're talking about pierce as being blank correct not yeah, carlisle yeah, no, 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 not carlisle <laughs> <laughs> i thought he was fine and you know it's it's funny like i was thinking about this last night because i was re-watching a a sydney lamette movie that I really like called Q&A and people make similar criticisms of Timothy Hutton in that movie saying that he's just really blank and uninteresting in comparison to, you know, the antagonist. And it's kind of a similar thing here that they're intentionally kind of making Pierce more of a straight laced character Mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, in contrast to Carlisle. And yet they have the bond that they share. Mr. Calhoun. Uh, you, you said that when you ate the man. Uh, do, you, do you mind if I ask? You said that afterwards your your hunger was different, that you felt wanton. Yes. Uh, did you feel it all physically changed? Stronger? I seem to remember something like that. A certain virility. Why do you ask? Like most people, I think there's a, you know, some of the secondary characters probably have your sort of base reaction to, as I said, just the the crazy cannibal shit that's surrounding him. Uh, But his lack of reaction a lot of times to things, uh, I think probably, yeah, you can infer that uh, this is a man that has dabbled in some, some darker habits or, uh, just just the the trope of just seeing things, you know, in war. Um, but I, I think that's also I, I think we expect our audiences, general audiences specifically expect our characters to uh, quickly define themselves. And in this case, maybe quickly denounce what's going on or to try to take some measure of control to. I mean, th- this is just a uh, this is Mad Max territory as far as this like this particular point in time in history and especially this territory that this story takes place in. There's just this sense of almost anything can happen in the film, uh, just any sort of deranged act. And maybe it's just particularly off-putting if you just stumble across this that uh, our hero here, for the most part, doesn't have control. Uh, I mean, there's a key action set piece where he just – you know, his the way out of the situation, the way for him to have a small victory is to jump off a cliff, uh-huh. <laughs> to basically be injured <laughs> and removed from the action. And I, you know, I don't, I don't see Tom Cruise. I, mean, I see him jumping off a cliff, but I don't see that being 
what happens to him. I don't see Tom Cruise actually having to deal with the fall from the cliff. I somehow uh, think he, he can scale the mountaintop and, and win the day again. So I, yet again, I think that all those, all those little quirks uh, contribute to the, the warmth this film has. And I mean, I don't know how people would stumble across it now, although I, I do admit I recently purchased it on iTunes. It was like a daily deal, like a 20th Century Fox daily deal, which is, I don't know which film nerd was in charge that day to put that on sale for $4.99, but I happily grabbed it. But yeah, if you ever stumbled across this on TV or uh, Netflix now, I think I think if people could get over the maybe the slower nature of it, uh, they would they would dig it. So I, I totally understand why how it's achieved cult classic status. Yeah, I mean, I do too. And I mean, just overall, I find it, you know, really watchable and really absorbing in in a strange, you know, way. There aren't a lot of movies about cannibalism, you know, in this way. And I guess when I think about, you know, Silence of the Lambs, I don't think of being in Hannibal Lecter's point of view. But in this movie, it feels like we're sort of we're we're definitely in Pierce's point of view and Pierce has eaten people to survive before mm-hmm. and with Carlisle um you know we're we definitely flirt with being in his POV a little bit as well uh and it's sort of a it it's a very brave choice for them to make and it's not shocking to see why you know this didn't connect with people at the time or probably would never have really connected um, you know, so, I mean, I don't know. I think people should check it out. Did, did you like the, uh, the, the sort of crude <laughs> mixture of comedy, horror, and like political allegory here? Cause I, I could see that being off putting if they, they hit that a little too hard, but I, I feel like they, they kind of t- toss it out there, but they don't like with a lot of things, there's not a whole lot of follow through, which normally would bother me. But in this film, I was sort of glad that anytime it seemed to get too far into uh, into that sort of traditional, like this is how the the West was won or America was made, that you would have Robert Carlyle being, you know, ridiculous and over the top, <laughs> and you would have a duel between him and Pierce. Uh, I, you know, I, I I was sort of proud of that, but I, I wonder if maybe in the original. Uh, script stage if that was a little bit more heavy-handed and they just eventually dealt with it based on the performances they were getting from uh from these great character actors i imagine things got a lot darker in in probably the original cut of this movie or or original script or whatever there's a point where jeffrey jones's character um is starting to give an explanation to guy pierce about about something and then they cut away and they cut right back to him and and he's basically there he's basically at the point where he's given up on uh cannibalism or anything and 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 it makes me think that yeah something was definitely taken out there um and so i don't i think the black comedy aspects of it were probably you know left in and further emphasized um so that makes me think they had just the right balance of that um the the stuff that sticks out to me is you know is all with jeffrey jones's character um him saying that you don't get a chance to make a lot of friends when you're a cannibal um and and him sipping that stew and 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 saying oh isn't this civilized uh you know that stuff uh sticks out for me i'm reading here that the uh the the end fight that i i was mentioning uh, was completely pretty much just made up by the actors. 
uh, I guess the the original ending was a, a more traditional set piece involving like rooftop fight and like fires surrounding them, and uh, they just they went with just the two of them just slugging it out, and I, I think that goes to back to the charm of the film that it does feel like, I mean, there's a lot of ideas there. There's a lot of interesting material, but it does feel like they just dealt with things sort of on the day at times. Like it does feel a little Mm -hmm. slapdash Mm -hmm. and there's an energy to the film that is strange for uh, a period piece. And it's strange for, I keep going back to the guy Pierce Lee, just the expectation we have on what this, this film's going to be, even with that opening that we talked about. Like I, I felt like it was going to be far more on the nose and heavy handed about this particular character. And it's, it's, it's fun. It's just strangely fun. I do remember the marketing of the film. They did try to emphasize the, the comedy aspects of it. Uh, and I guess, unfortunately, back in the 90s, this is something that probably would have been changed. Uh, there was a lot more emphasis on David Arquette yeah, being in the yep. film on his exactly screen. That's exactly what base. I was about to say. That was exactly <laughs> what I was about to say, because I guess because he was the big star from right. Scream or whatever. And, and you know, everyone else is, is basically a nobody uh, to them at the time. Uh, even Guy Pierce, who had been in L.A. Confidential. Uh, you know, so it is. So I, that's exactly what I remember about the marketing was they, they emphasize uh, David Arquette, who who's really barely in the movie. Are you familiar with the the filmmaker here who uh it appears really uh Antonia Bird did not uh get to continue like in features so uh was working in uh television uh throughout the 2000s uh, up to her uh her passing but I I'm looking at it and I mean I recognize uh Priest from 94 she was a you know fairly uh uh, staple Miramax uh, courting controversy uh, film that got a lot of publicity and then Mad Love with Drew Barrymore and Chris O'Donnell. But I've not seen any of those. Have you seen any of her other feature work? I haven't seen any of those. The only one I'd even really heard of was Mad Love. So you, you've got one up on me. And yeah, I don't I don't think, um, you know, uh, I, I don't really even feel like really seeking those out. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like a horrible thing to say. Well, I don't uh, think uh, looking at Mad Love, which I've not seen, I don't think you're going to get another ravenous experience. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm just prejudging based on the poster on IMDb. But um, yeah, I, I, maybe not. Maybe with Priest. I, I don't know. But you alluded to some of the, the production problems and the, the sort of battles over the film. I, I didn't read into it. What what did you read or heard about this film as far as that goes? Well, here's the thing. So the director was replaced um, like in the middle of production and Antonio Bird Antonio Bird was brought in at the last minute from a suggestion from Robert Carlyle. And so, you know, you know, for the auteur purists out there, you're not gonna get like some sort of like consistent uh <laughs> uh you know directorial vision here or whatever. But but it is an interesting example. It is an interesting example uh of how a female director can be brought on for something that people wouldn't normally, um, you know, think they would be suited for. Um, there is this sort of weird idea that, that, the, that the movies that female directors should be making are movies like Mad Love, uh, you know, ro- romances and, and, you know, comedies and stuff like that. Telling women's stories, basically. They, yeah. They, like yeah. They, should stri- they should stay to their own identities in a way. And, which... and, and that a woman would never be able to make a movie about men because it's an all-male cast, basically, except mm-hmm. for the, um, the Native American woman. Um, you know, and, and it's just funny. The other movie I think about that is, is a strange one. 
uh, two of them that I can think of right now uh, that both deal with with masculinity, masculinity and and men and male protagonists. Um, uh, Pet Cemetery, uh, you know, a very dark Stephen King adaptation, and then American Psycho. Uh, year after this, and, and you know, both by both by female filmmakers, you know, really the the female characters in those movies are very much, uh, you know, just completely supporting of you know the 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 male characters, and you know, and it's and and both those movies are not worse for that. I think that's probably one of the the dangers of uh, modern filmmaking. I should be, I guess, careful with my words here because uh, don't be I don't careful. Want to... Well, I don't want anyone anyone who is listening, and uh, we're, we're recording these you know fairly far in advance. So I don't know who the audience would be at this point, but um, like Wonder Woman recently, uh, big success, and uh, it was a point from Warner Brothers and uh, their DC um, company. Gee, I to... can't. I have no idea what you're talking about, uh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get you know give you more context. Apparently, um, but it was a big point uh, of emphasis for them to get a uh, female filmmaker involved. I, I know there was, I, I don't remember who I know. They, there was one director and she left the project and then Patty Jenkins uh, came in and replaced. Uh, and that's, that's great. That's fine. But uh, to, to your point, and I, I think both of us are on the same wavelength. Uh, I, you know, I find that to be just marketing, pure marketing mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because you know, there doesn't seem to be a great emphasis, like you said, to get a female voice on something like Ravenous. Uh, it's just like, oh, Wonder Woman's a girl, so let's get a girl in here to uh, tell the story of this Amazonian princess with superpowers and flies an invisible jet. Like, I don't know. It just seems like it's 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 just putting a Band-Aid on something and people can then pat themselves on the back because a woman directed Wonder Woman when – you have something like Ravnus that uh, is far more interesting and, you know, it's not a marketing hook. I'm certain it wasn't then to have from the, the auteur behind Mad Love, here comes this cannibal <laughs> comedy. But you're right. I mean, it, it, it provides a, you know, a, a different voice. And uh, I, I think the superhero movies would probably be, they'll probably be fine. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't imagine there's a whole lot of personality and voice to those films. I've not seen Wonder Woman. Everyone else seems to like it, but um, I don't think Ben or myself have seen it, so can't comment. I, 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 f- I feel like maybe as a woman, she she might have felt more willing to to allow both Carlisle and Pierce to just appear completely pathetic at different points in this movie mm. and completely helpless. Um, I, th- I think for for a male director, this point, this lowest point for Guy Pierce, where he's bleeding and almost just completely, you know, weak, um, that would probably be portrayed a lot differently. Uh, I think by by a male director. Uh, in my opinion. Um, and to go back to this, go back to this finale. Um, one thing that bird does, and I know you like what you're saying, they made it up on the day. And I, and I believe all that, um, this final image that we get, um, and I don't know if this is spoiler or not. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? There's any people who are big fans of this show and are in for it, or we have stumbled across like a, and we've been posted on a Ravnus forum. So I'm assuming people are in the back for it. So yeah, go ahead and let's spoil the hell out of Ravnus. So the final image here is really smart when you think about it, because they are collapsed on each other, basically dead or dying or whatever. And if, and when they pull back, they are inside a, a visual uh, jaw. They're inside like a bear trap or something or whatever. Uh, and I think that's how Guy Pierce kills Carlisle. Well, it would have been good if I had rewatched this part of the movie to be <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, they're like, they pull back and visually 
both their characters are trapped inside a, a jaw, a visual jaw. And, and it's a great touch for a movie that I think is ultimately about consumption and about people, uh, what people consume and, and people destroying themselves, eating themselves kind of. Um, and, and, you know, we see that in the ending as well with the, um, you know, with the new troops coming by and they're, they, they, they smell the soup and it smells good. And so they take a bite of it. Um, you know, uh, it's an in- interesting little idea is being supported there with, with the visuals. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly that, that thought, uh, as I was talking about the, uh, the, the historical, I guess the allegory there, this unending, need to consume and to expand your, your empire here. Um, Uh and I mean, even with the the basic premise, you know, that guy Pierce and his uh, group here, they're, they're on a rescue mission and they become completely, uh, I mean, they're, they're stagnant. They are not able to, to continue to move forward. And so they have to turn on one another, uh, you know, it makes the entire uh, setup and it makes them, I mean, somewhat inconsequential people. I mean, they're just, they're just wearing the uniforms of men who can do things, can accomplish things. Uh, and they, as you said, they end up just stuck. I mean, that, the, the final shot, they're just, they're just stuck there. And, um, I, you know, my biggest concern, I think upon rewatch, and there was a little bit of concern, um, was some of these films just stick out as such oddities that, and I don't know if you feel this way, that I almost want to keep them. I want to keep them as strange in my head. Like, wow, that was a weird thing I saw at the movies, or that was a weird thing I, I rented once. Uh, and I'm almost afraid that it's going to be something that doesn't hold up, that it's, it wasn't really that uh-huh, odd, uh-huh. and it wasn't really that special. I would have to say Rav- Ravnus is one. Ravnus, like, it, even, you know, if I watched it again tomorrow, I would probably still just be in some degree of awe that this ever got a wide release that this played in a theater in Kentucky and I saw it, you know, opening weekend with no one else and my brother. Uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's amazing that it exists, but, uh, I still have to sort of convince myself that, yeah, there was, there was a lot of people that, um, put this out there. And as you said, I mean, at the time, I guess, uh, really riding the coattails of that matinee idol, David Arquette, really, really <laughs> getting all those scream fans to come out for another horror comedy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly very unique. Um, you, 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 uh, you criticized the score earlier, but, but that's the element of this movie that I think I like the most. Um, you know, I can't think of another I movie. I don't think I criticized uh, it. You said something, something disparaging. I mean, I'll admit uh, I don't work out to it on the treadmill. I don't. <laughs> I would, I would. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, uh. That is also very strange. I can't, I can't go down that road with you, but I, you know, I'm not going to, I won't look down on you for it. If you want to, if you want to jog to the ravenous soundtrack, then God's you, you, you'd really look down on what I watch when, when I exercise. So I'm not even going to tell you what it is. <laughs> um, but the other thing, and it's, it's shocking to me and we've brought it, brought him up a lot, but I do think Robert Carlyle should be singled out too for his work here. Like he really makes this work. And I, I don't know why, it, you know, we've never really seen him in, in anything. Have you seen him in anything else that was like noteworthy? I mean, other than his, uh, association with like, uh, the, uh, the train spotting crew, um, 
No, I, I'm trying to think because I mean, it, obviously, 28 weeks later, I guess the full Monty, but that was before Ravenous. Mm-hmm. I don't know the late 90s. He, he definitely was appearing in some degree of sec- successes. But yeah, I'm trying to remember the last thing that didn't have to do. Um, I'm looking through his IMDb, and I don't know. I guess he got sucked into TV, some sort of fairy tale show that's been on for years. But uh, the last thing I remember watching him in was The Beach, which was 2000. So that's another Danny Boyle film. Uh, no, I, I don't know that, that that's actually, uh, you always manage to make something depressing, Ben Zook. And uh, I'm not trying to make it. I'm saying I, this guy no, deserves more attention. I, you know, <laughs> you know, I guess because, uh, these are films like train spotting and, uh, the beach 20 days later, it's stuff in a very compact time period from my youth when I was like watching and rewatching stuff like on DVD a lot. That I just assumed I sort of filled in the blanks. I was like, oh, he went on to be in a ton of stuff because he went on a ton of stuff around that time period. And I look and it's like, no, for I mean, there's there's very few and far between as far as feature film credits. So uh, he's a big personality. Uh, and maybe that's that's it. Uh, maybe it's the, the Begbie thing. Um, but there, there's another actor that's. Uh, that was he was in seven um and he was in alien resurrection he's in very bad things i don't know oh, the yeah. guy's name purvis he's, he was like the, yeah i know i know what you're talking about the freak out guy right like he made a <laughs> i want to say leland orser maybe i'm right let's see yeah he was in a cult movie yes i'm right leland leland orser i'm very proud of myself well, I, I'm very proud of you as well. Much more so about that than you uh, jogging to the Ravenous soundtrack. But I always assumed that uh, Carlisle was like that dude, and he just like he just continued to pop up and things. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently not. I, I don't know. So well, that, and that we're not going to fix depressing. that on this on this so. podcast. We're not going to help his career <laughs> by producing <a> Ravenous episode. <laughs> I have, a, I have a last question. Sure. This, this one's probably uh, a little strange, but could you ever see this film being remade by some, you know, up and coming slick hot auteur that has some sort of, uh, you know, ravenous obsession uh, and reintroducing this and making it maybe I'm assuming far more successful than what this version was? No, uh, I, I mean, I could see them making wanting to make something like this. Uh, like, you know, just do a cannibal Western kind of thing and just not call it ravenous, you know, and steal a lot from it. Um, I could see that happening. I don't think they'd remake it because the few fans that it has, you know, are probably pretty passionate. And Mm -hmm. and I feel like the remake probably wouldn't live up to their expectations for some reason because of that weird, that weird spontaneity that you talked about, the weird off-putting choices here that were probably made on the fly, um, you know, up against some very weird uh, demands from production or whatever, that I don't think you'd be able to recreate that so easily. And so you would disappoint the hardcore fan base. And I really don't think there's that many other people uh, who want to see like a cannibal, um, you know, uh, movie like this. Uh, So no. (laughs) You know, I was... uh, I I was a fan of Bone Tomahawk, which came out a couple years ago. Yeah, And that is a far more structured version of, you know, cannibal Western than this. I mean, you, you have, you have a posse that, I mean, to some degree they are, they are sent off to, to be picked off as well, but you have Kurt Russell playing, uh, you know, the sheriff, you're, you're he's playing like a, a typical hero as opposed to whatever guy Pierce is. And uh, that one, you know, it's, 
that one got a, a decent amount of buzz amongst like you know film Twitter and like people read IndieWire. Uh, but it is, it pales, at least for me, uh, in comparison to Ravnus as far as that, I don't really, I mean, there's really nothing weird about that film. It's just like someone saying like, oh, let's have cannibals in a Western setting and we'll just kind of play it straight. And that's, that's one thing I really admire about Ravnus is it just, it doesn't, it really does not take any of the easy choices or really do the next thing that you expect it to do. I mean, I don't even know, it doesn't even really have like any sort of three act structure. I mean, the, the fact that once you get past the cave and sort of the reveal of Carlisle, there are long sequences where it's like they're just sort of a bunch of dudes just sort of settling on the idea of being cannibals, just hold up <laughs> together for the winter, just like they're bunkmates or something. <laughs> that's just a strange, I mean, that's a strange choice. And I I don't think people would, you know, they would want Kurt Russell to keep pushing forward to solve the problem, to to fix it with, you know, fists or bullets and uh, seeing Guy Pierce be passive for great stretches is uh, is something I, I greatly enjoy. But I'm also a huge Guy Pierce fan. I've got a, a signed CD of his of his <laughs> his musical work sent to me by our good buddies in Australia from AB Film well, Review. Well, I thought I was a big Guy Pierce fan, and I guess <laughs> I'm not anymore. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have an autographed CD of his musical works. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's what I would choose to work out to, Ben. That's that's what I listen to on the treadmill. Um, is there anything else? Anything else uh, before we we start reviewing uh, Guy Pierce music um, on the podcast? Anything? Any final thoughts on Ravenous? Nothing except for that. I do think people should check it out if they haven't. Yeah, I I don't. Uh, this is one. Uh, I mentioned the iTunes sale that I, I got a f- couple months ago. Because I, I think it's it's just something that it's going to be hard for someone to who's not seen it, not been exposed to it, to really ever decide to just seek it out. Because of the players we mentioned, uh, Carlisle apparently not having the career that <laughs> Ben wanted him to have, or I, I thought he had. And uh, Guy Pierce, um, I mean, being a, a, a known person, but not a movie star. And then David Arquette not having the... Uh, the swagger that he did back it's, in 99. It's like, it's this guy. And, and then the guy from Battlestar Galactica who, who played Gaius, you know, I just don't understand how an actor can, can be that great in something and then not, and not end up being used, get, not get, you know, great material like that, you know, over and over again. And then Jeffrey Jones, what's, I mean, what, what's going on with him? How come he's not getting material? Well, I mean, but he's a character actor. He's a certifiable character actor who, you know, who probably peaked with Amadeus, I guess. And, and, you know, and, and Ferris Bueller, um, you know, but that's, that's a different thing. Uh, <laughs> I was just being mean, uh, because oh. the, the child pornography stuff that came up. <laughs> oh, what happened? He he, he oh, got shit. to some degree of trouble there, and you you were really like just like. When did this I was happen? Like, when did this happen? Uh, now I feel terrible. I don't I don't want to be oh. the one to break the news to you about it. <laughs> I was just going for a mean spirited joke. Oh, this sucks. This is gonna this is gonna put a real damper when we get to Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> good uh, good way to uh, <clears throat> promote a future episode there, Ben. Get us back on track. Um, but w- w- next we're doing. Uh, what lock stock two smoking barrels is that is that the next one up on the uh the list we've got here uh, to tune in uh two months later uh when we <laughs> when we come back for lock stock and two smoking barrel now come on ben we're we we've not yet released a single episode yet so i mean we're slow but we're also like i don't know four months into a weekly schedule here i think 
we're good. We're we're ahead of these people who are probably not going to bother listening to the show. Sure, so, sure. You know. <laughs> yeah, check that out. Uh, I believe we're at uh, on Twitter at ninety nine from ninety nine. Uh, the name of the show, and uh, maybe we'll have a tweet up at this point. I hope so, at least. So. That's Ben Zuck. I'm Michael Denston. Thank you for listening. And uh, we won't talk about Jeffrey Jones next time around. Not until Sleepy Hollow. 